everybody, welcome to another episode of Upon Further Review. This is the podcast where we talk about the films considered uh, the best ever made, and we talk about if we think they still hold up, and if that's fair for that reputation. We'll be the judge of it. So for this week, we are talking about Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, the 1971 <sighs> award winner. Let's was just it? dive into was it. Was it? Yeah. It, it won, won. I didn't even want to. Uh, won a ton yeah. of awards. So Jeez. let's dive into okay. it because I have right. a feeling I know what your thoughts are with the sound of your frustrated voice. That frustrated but. sound was like I loved it so much. <laughs> it was the most amazing movie I've ever seen in my entire life. So you hated it? Not so much that I hated it. It's just you know what I was. I, me and my wife were watching. And I looked over at her and I was just like, I don't think I'm smart enough for this movie to really understand what the fuck's going on uh, personally. So. It's not so much that I hated it that I just I had to watch it a couple of times to really understand it mm-hmm. and to watch you know, I felt you had to watch it a couple of times I like did. back to back uh, not back to back like I watched it one day I tried to absorb it I watched it a couple of days later try to absorb it mm-hmm. and then I watched certain scenes of it yeah. to kind of try to understand it ultimately what I felt was like the main character sitting there with his eyeballs you know opened up watching this movie <laughs> it's ultimately how i felt malcolm mcdowell yeah what was his name in the movie again oh i don't remember oh come on man i can't remember either and max no, no. alex I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up uh maybe probably alex, alex that sounds about, about familiar right. alex something or other and look and i watched this movie a couple of times um yeah for me it was just i don't know it 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 was. I under finally. I understood. What, Alex, you're right. Alex. Okay, cool. Um, I finally started understanding where the story was going, but I just I was like, "This is tough to watch." Okay, so uh, in college, I read the book. Uh-huh. I had a class where we'd read a book and watch the movie based on the. Book. <laughs> Sounds is, like American education. Well, no, actually, I was in Greece. Okay, so, but they're even more lax about their education. <laughs> no, even like, better than we watch movies. I'm like. Okay, I'll take this class. Done. Love the book. And the book is written in like that, the type of way he was talking. Okay. I don't remember what they call it. There's like a special speak Mm -hmm. um, where he even the writer had to put an appendix where he did translations for words because some people are having such a hard time with it. Right. But I'm assuming this is what inspired the train spotting guy to write like Mm -hmm. with his own like writing phonetically. Right, right, right. Um, it's funny because I was watching this movie. That's funny that you said that because I was like, this has a very train spotty feel. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Oh, I should have started this show with "Welcome, oh my brothers." Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> missed opportunity. Um, but I love the book. I I thought it was, it, and back then I remember it being one of my favorite books, and I remember watching the movie, and I'm just like, I hate this movie. Like, mm-hmm. the book kind of tackles the two sides to the coin of extremes or extreme anarchy versus extreme order. Right. And it's from his point of view. And yeah, they do like rape a girl in the book and things, but from his point of view, not that part, he doesn't, 
he also doesn't apologize for it. He's just like, this is what we did, you know, type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, he doesn't apologize. He doesn't necessarily. Well, it feels like kind of a dystopian type of world, sure. right? And kind of an alternate reality of what our world could have been or could be. Right. That's and, what it feels like anyway. Um, but and then like in like, you know, he gets kind of the brainwashed or the treatment or whatever. And and then he's like strict and like on the straight and narrow and then all that negative shit happens to him. And actually in the book, uh, his friend, the dumb one, um, Dim, uh-huh. he isn't a cop. He partnered up with that. Remember the gang that he's like, oh, Georgie boy. Uh-huh. Like he actually partners up with him. And like he's now in the gang with him, now that Alex is brainwashed. The ones that they got into a fight with, and they beat the shit out of Alex. So he wasn't a cop but in it, the book. I but can I see like why they the would. I do better. too because it hits the theme better. Absolutely, I right. like it because it's like, yeah, if you're a violent teen, why not have a job where like you can kind of get away with it because you're right. the law, basically. Right, right. Well, I mean, it spoke layers. Right into what that meant right but the book you kind of followed his train of thought so you kind of i don't want to say you rooted for him but you were and i I don't even know if sympathetic is the right word but you were along for the ride with alex sure sure um and at the end of the the difference is the end of the movie is spoiler alert (laughs) um the end of the movie is him going back to his evil ways his fun ways of like fuck i get to do this shit again Whereas in the book, he outgrows it, and he decides, like, now I'm ready to have a calm life, have a wife and kids. Interesting. And I like that better because I think there's more social commentary to the book. Um, yeah, but I think the ending bit. speaks more to Kubrick's mindset sure. of society. And for me, so the movie, for one, Kubrick, I have I struggle with, for most of his films, understanding what the central theme is because sometimes it just feels like he lays out this rich tapestry and he's like, whatever. You know, like 2001, not really sure what the ending was about. <laughs> uh, eyes wide shut. I'm like, I think the theme is Tom Cruise isn't gay. Like, that's <laughs> all I got from that movie. You know, like, yeah. I don't know what any that's other funny. moral of the story uh-huh. was supposed to be. And same thing with this one where I'm like, I don't know what he's really going for. And for me in the movie, I didn't sympathize at all with Alex. I wasn't along for the ride. Like what he did, I thought it was funny because I forgot. It's been like 10 years since I've seen the movie. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. They're doing the save the cat moment by stopping those guys from raping that woman five minutes later. Oh, and they rape her. Yeah, like, and they rape somebody in else. In front yeah. of a man they just crippled. Right, right. Awesome. And so it's like for me when they brainwashed right. him, I'm like, fuck yeah, brainwash this guy. What, he's going to feel queasy if he has sick thoughts? I know. That's okay with me. That's not <laughs> right, right. That's not a terrible thing. Uh-huh. Like they're acting like, oh, these poor bastards getting brainwashed. No, I'm okay with that. Well, and they, you know, what did, what did they really do? They gave a, they they had they tied him down to watch movies. That's you know it. what I mean? At least they gave him Visine just to make him discomfort. You know? How many pharmaceutical drugs make you mildly nauseous? <laughs> like every one of them. Every one of them. Like I was okay, and with what he did to that woman, I'm like, hell yeah, dude, cut off his balls. Like I don't I give know, a right? shit. Castrate like the castrate bastard. the dude. I don't feel bad for him at all. So right. in the movie, I'm like, whatever happened to him, I give a shit, man. Mm. Well, I mean, to me, the, the the overall theme of this movie is life in excess, right? It's taking the the primal urges as a human being versus doing, um, doing the things that you want to in excess, mm-hmm. right? So for him, it was about 
from my perspective, uh, you know, fighting those guys. He's yes, they stopped a rape, but they they weren't stopping the By rape. By the way, in the book, the girl was like ten. Oh, that's even worse. And also in the book, uh, you know, the girls he meets at the um, record store. Record store. Uh, they were like. 10 to 12 years old in the book. How old was he, though? He was also 16. 15, so, I mean, in I some know, weird way. I know, it rides the line of pedophilia, really. But yeah. that's not the... The reason why they aged him up in the movie, besides They said he was reasons, 16 in the... In uh, 15. The, in, in, the, in the movie? Yeah. In really? the movie, they said 15. Because oh. the guy who sat on the bed with him that cupped his balls... Yeah. Um, or, like, whacked him in the balls, I guess. <laughs> Didn't really cup him. He's like, wham. wham. Yeah. Which I'm like, yeah, do it harder. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. After what just happened, like... Punch it yeah. as hard as you physically can. <laughs> right. But, like, obviously they aged it up because it's like, well, that's not the – the point of the book wasn't pedophilia because he was a kid having sex with kids. Right. But in the movie version, it's like that – you wouldn't get that. You'd get, like, right. oh, he's that's gross. Right. But also in the book, like, he basically drugged those women that he had sex with, like, in their drinks. He, like, spiked their drinks to then have sex with them in the book. Interesting. So it makes a lot of sense though, you know, like because the book really talks about like what's what extreme is worse. Is it extreme to have like chaotic free will where you do literally whatever you want? Or is it worse to like not be able to do what you want? Totally. And in the book, it's kind of like you understand why both extremes aren't ideal. Like, to find that balance, and it's a little social commentary there, but I felt like the movie didn't explore that at all. Like, it was more matter-of-fact. I don't mm. think it... Because I don't think it negatively showed, especially with all the shit he did when he had free will, it didn't really make you question about them changing his mindset. Because you're like, oh, who gives a shit? And everything negative that happened to him, you're like, well... He did cripple a guy and rape his wife in front of him. Like, yeah. he's a horrible human being. I'm okay with him getting the shit kicked out of him. Right. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, in some weird way, I felt like it was kind of ironic. Because in, here's a person that is living life in excess to his own, you know, devices, that type of thing. And then he does something... That because of he takes agency throughout the story, you know, friends kind of fuck him over because he was an asshole to him. Right. Well, you know, he he made he made his bed. Right. So but then when he goes into, I guess, reformation, reformation, whatever you want to call it. Right. In some weird way, those guys were doing what they were doing in excess. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the irony there is like here's supposed to be authority at the the greatest extent of it, right? Like they're supposed to be doing it right for the good for the people and you know, reformation and all that type of shit, but ultimately they're doing it just as bad as as he was, mm-hmm. you know, to their own people. And he was and you know, and they how many times did they do this? I don't know, the lady said some like, you know, you're like the seventeenth or something like so they've done these over and over and yeah. over again, trying to perfect and whatever it the also process. Kind of explores was. like, you know, no matter how rigid and how strict your life is chaos is still out there always right and i think to kubrick's perspective i think from movies that i've seen of kubrick's and i've only seen you know like the shining 
Um, 2001. Right? Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, I've never seen Eyes Wide Shut, so I can't really speak to... (laughs) But I want to see if Tom Cruise is gay. But um, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Mm, Right? It's it's in this weird sense of human um, existence Mm. and experience that is in some way exaggerated. Right? Like... Uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey was ultimately, and you, I don't know what podcast number it was, but we talk about this. So if you guys want to go listen to it, have at it. Uh, Noah bitches about it, and I love it. So. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, but uh, to which end, you know, that's a movie about our our history and our longing to understand where we come from, right? Where you're looking at Full Metal Jacket, and it's about the. Uh, the breakdowns of being in war, right? That mental breakdown from a humanistic standpoint. And then you have Clockwork Orange, which in my mind is about life and excess and understanding mm. authority versus... So it's coming a lot from very humanistic Makes perspectives sense. to an extreme yeah. point of view. Um, so for me throughout this movie, it's it was just really uncomfortable, honestly. Yeah. Like the rape scenes feel very uncomfortable, yeah. you know? But yet, in some weird way, there's certain scenes that I really enjoyed watching. I guess it's hard to say enjoyed. Appreciated. <laughs> Appreciated watching because a lot of this stuff is hard to enjoy. Yeah. You know, I don't get pleasure watching an old man getting kicked in the stomach, you know, while his wife's getting raped type of scenario. But in some weird way, you know, that scene really sets the tone of the entire movie or the tone of that enti- that character because here he is doing – what we thought from the scene previously kind of saving somebody from being raped. No, he want, he was just there to kick the shit out of yeah. these guys because that's what he wanted to do. he wanted to, to ruin their fun. Exactly. So then the next scene over, we see him doing something astronom- you know, astronomically horrible while singing, singing in the rain. Which, which Gene which, Kelly was mortified. Well, it makes complete sense he, why it would be, yeah, right? Yeah, he was mortified. And even years well, later when he met Malcolm McDowell... He just walked away. He's oh, like, I bet. He was so... Which is funny because it's like, well, Gene, you're also kind of a monster because uh-huh. how much did you make... Uh, what's her name? Deborah? I don't remember. Uh, the, the, the the female in it. Mm-hmm. He made her cry on set. He yelled at her in front of everybody because he was a perfectionist. Right. And he expected that from her. And if she didn't per- like didn't do something perfect, he would like scream at her. Well, there's the double she irony again. ran right? and like, hid and cried. Right. So there's the there, there's a point to this, right? But it's like, but I didn't rape her. <laughs> like, I may have demoralized her. But I did not rape. To the point of her breaking down and hiding, but I didn't rape her. But that scene is interesting, right? Because if you look at the juxtaposition of singing in the rain and the scene that that comes mm-hmm. from versus what's happening in uh, A Clockwork Orange when he's singing, singing in the rain... We go from singing in the rain as this elation of joy and happiness because love is flourishing and all that type of stuff. He is truly in a place of joy. (laughs) On the other end, here is the juxtaposition of that same song being played. That guy's still in joy to everyone else's horror. Exactly, right? And that scene really sets the tone for the entire theme of the movie, in my opinion, because that thing starts to echo throughout over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. Um, But I think deeper, it's, you know, we, we can push those impulses, right? But are we ever able to get rid of them? Yeah. And to me, I think that's kind of what Kubrick was saying towards the very end. And I liked the idea that he wasn't 
reformed <laughs> by the very end of this, right? Because society kind of perpetuates it. Well, it was in a this quick dist- fix, basically. Well, in some weird way, like society perpetuates this yeah. thing. It's a society built around um, a guy that can go to a milk bar. You know what I mean? It's a guy, you know, that there's no real authority around here. There's letting homeless around where they can kick the shit out of them. There's, you know, they steal cars. They do all these types of things, and there's nobody there to really reprimand them. Even the parents, that whole scene. The only reason that he went to jail is because he killed somebody. Right, and because his friends fucked him over, basically. You know what I mean? Or he would have gotten away with it. Yeah. Totally. Right? So, to which end, um, the second scene that I really enjoyed was right when he went to jail. Right. Because it's all a game to him. This whole entire life that he was living is a complete game to where the scene where he is literally being stripped of any type of freedom. He's like, yep, right here in you front go. of him. Here you go. And he made exactly. He had a little smile smirk on his the face. entire time. Right. Because, again, to him, it's all just a fucking game. Yeah. You know, and even like while he was in the jail and helping out the priest and stuff. Like uh huh. It's just playing the system. Just exactly. And he knows it. Mm-hmm. Right. And but the the irony to me is that he played the system that put him in the place that fucked him over the most. You know what I mean? Um, So I really enjoyed that scene where he's basically getting, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically uh, getting signed in, signed in. Yeah. Um, The, the next thing that I thought was really, really entertaining was when he goes home right after all the, Oh, the guy that's renting. Well, in some weird way, his parents basically traded up. They replaced him with with some ideal son. Exactly. You know, and he's like, well, uh, can you just like move out? (laughs) We paid two years cash. Yeah. Rent. So sorry to do that to him. That would just be super. Right. And that, that started, you know, the trajectory of him just now it becomes a revenge story for all the people that he's fucked over in some weird way. I was just kind of like, well, that's what you get, dude. This is like the, the negative version of, uh, uh, it's a wonderful life. Right, right, right. <laughs> Where it's just like, oh, let's follow the journey of everyone that you fucked over. Right. And let's see how they get back at you because you can't fight back. So you know, the ex- why would he sing Singing in the Rain in the Tub, though? Like, you're in that house. Do you know no other song? Like, well, here's <laughs> well, the uh, and this is where Kubrick's, in my opinion, this is where Kubrick's genius comes in is that. Well, but that was in the book, too. But continue. Well, and how he uses it, though, mm. in my opinion, I think is really what works extremely well because that song "Singing in the Rain." If you are, if you know cinema, if you, I'm assuming they're taking that from a place where most people know what yeah. that movie is, he's getting away with it again. Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like to to the closest that he possibly can, he is getting away with it mm. right now. You know, and he's in the guy's house that he murdered his wife serendipitously, not even knowing that he's in that guy's house, by the way. That's the more interesting part to me. Um, what do you mean? He do, I don't, when, he's get, when he gets his ass kicked and he stumbles in the rain. He didn't initially know it was the house until he saw the old guy in the wheelchair. Then he knew it was the same guy. Because it but says it took there's a, a minute voiceover though, right? where it says, like, he has no idea who I am. That's like, right. That's right. Yeah, so he knew, but the wheelchair guy didn't. So to him, he feels like he's getting away with something. You know what I mean? So it was like a spark for a second of that old self Mm -hmm. being there without it hurting his gut. He just guard. Exactly. So Dropped the act. And for him, here he is again in his pure state of Mm -hmm. elation, right? That joy. He's singing in the rain. That's I mean, um, to me, it it works well in the scene. Um, 
but the uh the violence is crazy <laughs> the violence that that ensues is pretty um intense intense yeah you know uh i think it was ma- artfully done to a point but it was really hard for me to like sit in mm-hmm. that move watching yeah. this movie especially watching it two or three times where i just i there's no joy going through my body no. throughout any of this it's movie. Not like I was a normal very uncomfortable. No, man, I was like, very uncomfortable. Um, I was uh, kind of sickened by a lot of the actions. But again, I think that is really where Kubrick wanted people to kind of look at. This is the extremeness of what we as humans would do. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, what sucks is this impulses film- are you know numbed yeah. down so what sucks is this film was the violence was glorified by some groups of people no so much way. so that stanley kubrick withdrew the film so like it wasn't allowed in the uk until after his death in like 2000 holy crap yeah because there that. was cop two copycat crimes that caused him to pull it um a dutch girl in land lancashire in 1973 uh she was raped Jesus. two men singing singing in the rain and then there was a beating of a 16-year-old boy uh, who had beaten a younger ch- – or th- there was – I'm sorry. Yeah, there was a beating of a 16-year-old boy who had dressed like Alex uh-huh. to, like, beat another person with the black bowler and all that stuff. So it was actually pulled until 2000 um, just because – and it was rated X when it first came out. It Doesn't was one surprise of the, me. Yeah, because it was so – it was one of the two movies rated X – um, to be nominated for Best Picture for an Oscar. Oh, wow. And the other one was uh, Midnight Cowboy. Oh, interesting. So both of those are rated X um, and both nominated. So question for you. Sure. What did you think about the use of Beethoven's Ninth throughout the course of the film? Um, I, I think it's kind of like um, Alex getting a taste of his own medicine. So, like, kind of you were talking about how, you know, he's at, you know, he's comfortable. He's in his happy place when it comes to, like, singing in the rain. Well, Beethoven was his, like, haven. Right. Um, and I think there's symbolism behind it. I think I read a little bit about that. I don't remember what all they said. but Well, ultimately, was... Beethoven's Ninth is used historically through cinema as, like, it's played behind somebody's genius. Yeah. You know what I mean? So for me, cause I was thinking about it, right? I'm like, why, why are they using Beethoven's ninth throughout most of this movie? And it kind of dawned on me. I was like, Oh, like anytime we see somebody of some brilliance of genius or whatever, you're usually playing some sort of that, that song is yeah. used well, because Alex thought he was super smart and super clever and right. super like charismatic, which he was. Uh-huh. And the fact when that, he needed to be, <laughs> yeah, when he needed to be, when he was playing the game, right. when he didn't drop the ball and for that to be then used against him or right. one thing that gave him like confidence like is now torturing him. Right. I and I like, loved that though. Yeah. I loved that ability to like, take yeah. that and do that. Right. So getting a taste of your own medicine, sort of so, like, well, cause there's multiple ways that he did get a taste of his own medicine. Right. Whether getting almost drowned by dim to like tortured by that. And the, in the, but house. in some weird way, like I think, I, th- I think deep down, he kind of liked that. Probably. He was, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think he was just like, all right, he liked cool, I get it, I love this, I'm masochistic to some point, right? 
But I think when they took something that was so pure, right? Because mm-hmm. you think Beethoven, like that's pure symphony. That is pure yeah. music and what we feel as humans as music uh-huh. is. You take something so pure and now turn it into some sort of caustic type of ear acid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, for him, because now there is no there is no safe haven for him because that was his place of yeah. comfort. Right. And then you strip that all from mm-hmm. him because he could have gotten ass kicked or whatever. Listens to Beethoven. It was his way of washing it clean, yeah. of washing himself clean of whatever he was doing. But now that becomes that now a, a torture device. Yeah. Right. Then he's sitting in it. Yeah. Um, to the point of madness. In oh, yeah. Some crazy way. Right. So in some weird way, a song that uh, promotes or emotes genius, you mm-hmm. know, throughout our cinematic history to a point of driving somebody into madness. Right. And I think this is where if you could sit back and start seeing some of these motifs that are happening, these metaphors that mm-hmm. are happening from uh, from what Kubrick's trying to do, I can see why people looked at this and said, oh, this is a really unique cinematic experience, yeah, you know. I, I Although I think the thing for me, because when, I, when I've seen Kubrick movies, and bear in mind, my first Kubrick movie was uh, Full Metal Jacket growing up, and then I kind of worked backwards mm-hmm. more or less. That is a very cinematic film. And so when I think about Kubrick, there's I know that I'm going to sit down and look at something that's visually poetic, almost like something Ter- Terrence, Terrence Malick is doing right now. Um, but at the same time, I also know that it's going to be very visually stimulating and it's going I'm going to need to watch it a few times to understand yeah. it because my narrow mind is very <laughs> um, it has a hard time understanding sure. these things. However, this movie, I think it was difficult for me to connect with. Only in the sense of the visual language, because in my mind, everything was very flat Mm. in the frames. A lot of the shots were very simple. Um, There wasn't a lot of depth. There wasn't a lot of cinematic um, visualization, in my opinion. Um, It felt very documentary-esque. See, I kind of disagree just in the effect of I feel the cinematic experience that's very signature Kubrick was the set design. Interesting. Like, because the set design was very colorful, very vibrant, very detailed. Like, uh-huh, I mean, almost even, like a Wes Anderson yeah, type of that's, feel. Yeah, that house that they went to where they raped the woman, uh-huh. like, there was so much going on in that house. That house looked lived in. Right. And then at the, the record store or whatever, there was just all these, like, things to catch your eyes, and it was this whole, like, almost almost new world that they had created for this. And I felt like, so like, I agree the shots were not his typical, like breathtaking cinematography angles Uh or whatever, but I felt like the set design really picked up the slack. And because I couldn't connect to the film narratively, Mm -hmm. like I like to do with my films that I enjoy. Sure. This time I was able to step back and try and figure out why it's considered. Mm-hmm. So like one of the best films ever made and all cinematic and all this stuff. So I was looking I was looking at it more analytically outside of the narrative. Gotcha. Where I'm looking like the performances were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um there was different little quirky things like the women with the different colored hair like the mom right. had like blue or purple hair and you wouldn't expect a mom who's straight laced to have that as well as like a nurse had like blue hair right. and that's a nurse. So you wouldn't expect her at that time mm-hmm. to have blue hair. Cause that's about as institutional as you can get. Right, right, so right. there's very specific 
choices that were made, you know, even like the costume design and things like that, where I'm like, hmm, there's a lot of bold, risky choices that weren't kind of like, that were more eye catching. I mean, I so could. I, I could agree see with the that. cinematography, but I'm saying I feel like they picked up the slack with, with the art set design and costume. I will, I will agree with you there. I yeah. can see that. I think. Um, because I did notice that as well. I noticed the set design. I noticed the artistic direction and all that stuff. Um, I mean, shit, the fucking milk bar that he's in from an artistic yeah, direction dude. standpoint. It really, it really played sense with, to all of that. that was on an acid trip at the dude, time. Dude, like, seriously. We're going to take mannequins, but they're tables. Wait, what? Uh-huh. Hear me out. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, that was it. Like, oh, okay. In some <laughs> weird way, I kind of, it's, I, at some point, I'm like, those are real people, right? Because <laughs> like, the way that they were positioned, I was just like, well, that's creepy. They recruited them for And erotic week, at the right? same time. Yeah. You know? Um, but I do agree with you on the, on the art direction standpoint. Cinematography wise, again, it just felt very yeah. flat to me. But I don't know, um, because of the extreme actions that are usually happening on the screen, if it for me it took away from me having that kind of under seeing the visual language potentially, but uh, it just didn't it wasn't blaring to me as some of you know something like The Shining, you know what I mean? So one th- one thing that stood out, one set design that stood out was the yoga lady's, uh, the place she was doing yoga. Where he like fought her and eventually killed her with the huge dick. Uh, yes. Like, with all of those paintings and everything, along with her having five hundred cats, I'm like, is this where the stereotype of cat ladies being sexually frustrated came from? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same damn thing, dude. Because like was everything thinking... was sexual. In I that told room. I told my wife I'm like, do you feel that way, honey? Because my wife is turning into a cat lady. Is she? She really is. Do you have another cat? No, 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 no. no, no. But the it's uh, it's getting a little weird because her friend has two cats and she's got two cat tattoos, and they just they start meowing at each other now. Uh, No, uh, guys, my wife she's a wonderful human being, but she's getting a little crazy. So help me, please. (laughs) I don't know what to do. (laughs) I don't know whether to feed her kitty kibble or (laughs) just. Petter, I don't know. Um, probably both. <laughs> anyway. As long as you don't get a second yeah, cat. Yeah. Second cat is where you're like, and I've lost you. <laughs> right. Okay. See you later. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking the same thing. The other thing, I was like, damn, that bitch is flexible. Yeah, no shit. Hot chicken. She looked old. She's old, too. You know? I was just like, good for you, lady. Good for you. Mm, she so. was crazy old. Like, her yeah. bones came out past her chest. I guess. Like, I was super like, wow. flexible. It's super tiny. Mm-hmm. She was, I was very like, please tiny. eat something. Yeah. Please. You've won. Whatever you're trying to do, you have succeeded. Right. <laughs> like, when you have a belly and it's not a belly, it's your hips. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to eat something. Yes, please. Yeah. So, all right, man. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of really all. The the funny thing, um, so Kubrick's known for, like, millions of shots. Yeah. You know, and there was a couple instances where they kind of negotiated with him to not do as many shots. Or, well, because they shoot on film, so. Yeah, but, I mean, he's <laughs> just doing, like, 70 takes. Oh, Jesus. And even with uh, the eye scene where his eyes were propped open, he it scratched his eye. Oh, like, no. And they had an actual whatever, the guy, like, official dude who's like watering his eyes Uh that was a real professional that would water your eyes or whatever Uh because they wanted like to make sure it wasn't screwed up by some actors like oh sorry yeah but 
he still scratched his eye to the point where Malcolm had worked with him enough um, in the you know in this movie that he was he begged him he's like I know you're gonna want to do reshoots or retakes but can we please do the eye scenes at the end of the shooting at the very end because he already had a scratch oh, he's wow. like he just knew there was the risk of making it worse so he's uh-huh. like let's wait for a couple weeks because I think they said from shooting to when post-production was done was a year oh geez. which for kubrick that's fast as shit oh is it that yeah. sounds long as hell no because with his 70 takes that he usually does like 40 to 70 was like his standard uh-huh. on film like post-production usually took him forever to find which shot he liked the most oh wow so oh, okay so that makes sense then. yeah so but for him to be done like within the year of when he first started principal mm. photography that's kind of an interesting way of shooting though i never knew that he did it that way because he just kind of goes into a scene and says, "Fuck, I don't know. Let's just come up with a bunch of ways to shoot this from a from the you know from a metaphor standpoint, you know, and we'll go into the cutting room and we'll just see what works, mm-hmm. you know." <laughs> Instead of coming in there with just like a strict this shot that like like Coppola goes in with shot shot shot, oh, yeah. and he, he knows basically exactly. he knows exactly how he's His getting brain it. Was a storyboard, yeah, you know what I mean. So he just knew exactly mm-hmm. what he was getting. <laughs> Kobel, on the other hand, was orchestrating too much shit, but at the same time, um, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know he worked that way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try that out. That's actually really cool. The the woman who was raped in it, that was this, uh, one woman dropped out because during the whole thing, it was too traumatic for her. So she's like, she probably got raped it. beforehand. Maybe. You know? um, and so they hired another woman and Malcolm was like, okay. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> like, she's like, it's fine. Like. They, you know, she was kind of cool with because she understood it was like an acting. But it is I would I absolutely understand why the first woman's like, this is too much because, dude, they go full. Yeah. Like Like, I was so uncomfortable watching that. Torture porn is what it was. I mean, it was sadistic. I'm going to dehumanize this woman in front of your husband by like cutting out those parts before then going at it. Like that was a. Even though I'd seen it before, that was so uncomfortable and disturbing and upsetting Mm -hmm. to sit there. Mm -hmm. So upsetting because it's like so methodical. Yeah. Where it's like this, this is what they would do. Like Uh this is their, their like. They're having fun. Yeah. This is a cat and mouse game to them. Yeah. But this is their standard protocol. Like this is what we do. Yeah. And it's like that's. Yeah, the those scenes were a little, a little tough. Yeah. Although the the reprieve of him having sex with those teenagers from the record store, mm-hmm. it was almost comical, wasn't it? And that was one long take of like twenty some minutes of them actually fucking. Well, I don't think they really were, but like a lot of it was improv, uh-huh. and Malcolm just wanted to like mess with Stanley, and so he just kind of kept going to the point where at one point Stanley's like, "Okay, Malcolm, that's enough." Because he's the one that kept like undressing the girls. That's hilarious. Like that. Yeah. And <laughs> Stanley's like, okay, we got it. Malcolm's <laughs> like, I don't want to do more than one take of this. So like, I'm yeah, just going to so keep I'm going. Keep going. <laughs> it's kind of smart for him to fast forward it because mm-hmm. it shows the the humor in it all, right? Yeah. Like the fun and games again, kind of playing to that that excess. But man, if that's one long take, that's exhausting for those actors to have to. It's just sex, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well. Well. What, so would you recommend people watching? I wouldn't. No? Uh, I don't think. I think of all of Kubrick's, I'd recommend like The Shining uh-huh. um, and Full Metal Jacket, even though that's really disturbing. Um, I think mine would just be The Shining for me with Kubrick. But that's just my 
Yeah, you I, have I believe, a you have a hate hate relationship with Kubrick. I, well, I appreciate I appreciate his, the cinematography. I just don't enjoy his film. So did this win though? Did this win best? Uh, I don't think so. But it was nominated. It huh? was nominated for best picture. Interesting. As a rated X. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So I don't. I would not recommend it. Okay. I just wouldn't. Would you? I. If you're a film buff, and you enjoy unique cinematic experiences i would designer, say yes go if you're a set please, designer go. watch this if you are somebody that is have a, has a queasy stomach for kind of excessive grotesque things eh, i don't know i don't know if it's uh worth your time but it does have a lot of nice social commentary about the human condition and excess of where if we allowed all of our impulses to take take over where our society could be mm-hmm. um so if you're into that type of stuff i'd say yeah go check it out i mean to me i'm always about go go see these things right give us your opinion on some of this stuff because i'm curious you know on whatever what other people think as well so it was nominated for four academy awards it didn't win any but it was best picture best director best writing um, screen or screenplay based on material from another medium, aka mm, best adjust, adapted screenplay, is what that is now, and best film editing. So it was not. I could see the editing. There was a that. couple of really unique editing and the music tools in there. Were the music definitely legit. heightened the experience. Totally. It was very purposeful. And well, there's a couple Kubrick. of scenes in the cuts that I was just like, oh man, that was a really cool way of doing yeah. that. So I could see the editing for sure. Mm-hmm. Well. I think we did it. I think we did it, my man. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Definitely check us out on social media. Yep. UFR Podcast for everything. And Jonesy, what's all your social media stuff? Uh, I believe it's just like, hey, Jonesy. Is that for? Everything, uh, really. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Hey, Jonesy. You can find me on Twitter. Is the real Jonesy? Is that still one? Oh, yeah. I think that's my Instagram. I think so. If you guys want to see me and taking pictures of hamburgers and my dog and my wife, that's you guys can go to my Instagram. Good shit. The real Jonesy. And all my stuff is at the Noah Kinsey. So that's how you can find me. Well, so what's the next one? Tootsie. Tootsie. Oh, sweet. I've never seen that movie. No? Never. Oh, it's awesome. All right, cool. Well, then I'm looking forward to it. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. All, all right, right thank guys. You guys. Everybody else, we out. Oh,